Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC. Well, they always say that bee stings are the most painful and we were certainly dealt a devastating blow on Saturday as Brentford snatched a 94th minute equaliser to break our hearts at Craven Cottage. Are the promotion chances in tatters or is there still a glimmer of hope? We certainly hope so. Spewing some venom on the podcast tonight. I've got three gentlemen who are going to dissect everything that happened on Saturday. Uh, reintroducing back onto the podcast, been a little bit of a break. Drew Heatley, how you doing? Hi, how about it? Good to have you back. Very good to be back, thanks. Gallivanting in Colombia and all that. Also introducing Farrell Monk. Hadley Doodley. A very sharp yellow tie tonight. Yeah, I don't think I've worn this one in a while, but, you know, it's a tie for radio. <laughs> or for the Lib Dem conference. Yeah. <laughs> Is that happening? I don't know, but if it did, that's yeah. the title where. Uh, and Don Betts. Hello, hello. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. Just about recovered from Saturday. Well, yeah, it was a pretty bitter pill to swallow on Saturday. Uh, Secretary Jack, as you'll be able to hear, isn't here today. I saw him uh, full time just outside of Craven Cottage. We were all going to the pub. Old Suffolk Punch, brilliant pub, by the way, and they uh, were very good hosts on Saturday. He was so angry. He just went to me, I need some alone time. And he had... He, Ang- was that anger? Yeah, no, 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 yeah, no. <laughs> he just needed to clear his head. Uh, he was so upset with what happened uh, on Saturday. Uh, right, so loads coming up in this podcast. Looking back at Brentford, uh, also looking at the promotion race. Is there still a chance for automatics? Plus, lots of chat about Ryan Sessignon uh, and his huge haul at the EFL Awards last night. I don't Before think there was anything you didn't win. Clean, even, even the half-time raffle. I think, yeah, clean, <laughs> clean sweep. I uh, need to do some three-word reviews. Dom's in charge tonight. Which platform are you getting them off today? Instagram. Oh, good old Graham. What's coming? So Jackie's Reese, nasty beasting. You've got Louis Camwell with not swar brick, swar prick. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't remember him doing anything that bad, but okay. Um... Sonny Salvatore, Weissov Cabano, Luke Johnson, basic Brentford bitches. Uh, Matty Vitiello, their cup final, and Scurry Boy, 94, Sucker Punch. Well, it was a sucker punch indeed. And uh, just to say before we get into Brentford that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, Farrell, one always how it finished. It means that Cardiff are now very much in the driving seat for automatic promotion. Not that they weren't ever in the driving seat, despite the claims of Neil Warnock, but it's looking mighty, mighty difficult now. And to be honest, looking at the whole of the game on Saturday, sharing the points is a fair result. Yeah, Cardiff have have certainly been in the driving seat for a little while now. Well, you know, one butt cheek on the driving seat, maybe the hands on the steering wheel. Um, and it's all it's been up to Fulham and Villa to chase them down and successfully put them under some pressure because they've been under pressure a little bit but their performances have kind of been the same over the past couple of months anyway like they have been as we say now and again and again that they've been shithousing their ways to results and they're still trying to shithouse their ways to some results we're just waiting for some of their vast amount of luck to run out a little bit as it as it did against Wolves Think, looking at the Fulham game, it's just a classic one of those draws that felt a little bit like a defeat in the end. But when the dust has settled and other cliches like that, once a day or two has passed now, you kind of think to yourself, look, you would have 
21 games ago, you would have absolutely munched someone's arm off for, for, for a run like this. And we're in a fantastic position. I feel like we surpassed the points tally from last season with four games to go. Any point, any points above, above and beyond that is an absolute Brucey bonus. Uh, it was quite an even game, I thought, Drew, but Brentford was certainly impressive. A far classier passing side than anything we've really seen this season, barring maybe Wolves. Yeah, and I think uh, it, we we've had a few teams this season come and frustrate us and and make things uh, you know make it a, quite a non enjoyable afternoon. And obviously, it's not great when uh, when you have a team like Brentford come and, and play a bit of football uh, and make it hard for us. But at least you know, as you say, they 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 came and they played they played and they're a lot better than some of the sides that we've had uh, at the cottage this year because there has been some some dross actually. To be quite honest, I mean Brentford are seething with some of the referee decisions on Saturday. Uh, Billy the Bee. Billy the Bee is the guy that runs Besotted Podcast, and it's safe to say I wasn't exactly that pleased to see him after Saturday. (laughs) But he turned up anyway. Absolutely livid. Thinks that we were lucky to get a point. I'm not sure I fully agree with him there, but certainly in the first half, um, they had two incidents that... They kind of had every right to complain about. First, Ollie Watkins being given offside when he was very much onside. He then put the ball in the net. To say that it was an offside goal, I think, is stretching it a little bit. But then his free kick is blasted straight into the arms of Steph Joe, who, if that had been the other way around, I'd have been seething. Yeah, I mean, both seasons went our way, luckily. But, I mean, with the offside goal, as they want to call it, Benelli stopped playing for about five seconds before, so he's not really paying attention to what Ollie Watkins is doing. If he's on side and, he, and the ref hasn't blown for it or the line hasn't put his flag up, he's going to come rushing out and it's not going to be the same situation. But yes, Ream slips and that plays Ollie Watkins on side by an absolute country mile. That's, but that's not the point. It's just a totally different situation because then players are going to react in a different way. When it comes to the free kick, it, yeah, that's just a penalty for me. I know it's blasted at him so hard, but his arm is so far up that it's pr- pretty much inexcusable, really. And it, I think it's because it happens so fast that's the reason why it wasn't given because uh, the referee probably didn't see it or he thought, oh, it came at him so fast, he was probably just trying to get his arm out of the way. But yeah, both decisions went uh, their way and I was quite surprised how he went into half-time drawing, to be honest. And then in the second half, though, I thought that Fulham came out the stronger, Farrell. I thought that we created the better openings and when Fulham did score the goal, and a lovely finish from Mitrovic. I mean, it won't go down as one of the goals of the season but for me it's just perfection from 20 25 yards to hit you know it was going to take something special to beat Dan Bentley who's a very very good goalkeeper my word that's a brilliant goal yeah you're quite right um second half Fulham came out with a, they were a, a lot more incisive I felt like Brentford in the first half were very much in it because it was more Fulham not being you know aggressive enough on the ball and not getting foot into good positions as much as we should do and we allowed Brentford to win the ball a lot more and have a lot more of the possession than we than they would do and in the second half it was completely different and the, when the goal came I mean it was the play was with Fulham and um, it was a lovely lovely finish on the on Mitrovic's supposedly weaker side first time into the bottom corner uh, in off the post it was just almost a perfect finish and much the distraughtness of the aforementioned Mr the B. <laughs> what a funny way of saying that <laughs> the, the goal it, you know it came uh, straight out from Betts and 
it was so quick. You never seen Route One look so beautiful. And the website, the official site, uh, described Mitrovic's finish as kissing the inside of the post, which I absolutely loved because it mm. was it was a fantastic finish. Uh, and it just shows once again the the value of of Mitrovic to the team in terms of just a sheer finishing ability. You know, you, you rarely see a miss any chance it's sort of like that so it's just fantastic to see one thing though I thought on Saturday the pressure was definitely ramped up after the Reading win I felt I know that Fulham weren't really in the driving seat but maybe it was just going up to second maybe it was the impact of both Villa and Cardiff winning late it suddenly felt like the pressure on the fans the club the team was just up to notch do you think that showed a little bit in our performance I thought sometimes we were a bit cagey and maybe a bit more cautious than we have been in other games I know Brentford were very good at stifling our play and pressing us very very well but I don't know if the players fully responded to the pressure that was on them I think it was a bit of a it's a bit of a mix for me between yes uh we are, we are now having more pressure on us now because we're in that second place position but I also think it was because it's, it's just Brentford and we just never play well against them and that can be a mental aspect as well not just because we're in second but because we're playing a team who we've beaten once since we've come down and we usually don't get a very good result against them at Craven Cottage but no, I, I don't know what it was it's just we didn't look up to the best like Ream had one of his worst games in a very long while I thought yeah, he, made quite, he made quite a few mistakes but I, I thought I didn't think we played horrifically bad I just thought if we got into the first half like and played better in the first half then it would have been a different game but I think we let Brentford come into the game too early and then they were on top for the majority of the first 45 minutes but then one second half side for the first 20 minutes half hour I thought we were totally dominant and I think if Kearney puts their chance away then I think that's a, an easy 2-0 routine victory Farrell the derby day thing now you look at our last 10 games we've won every single game apart from two and they very much stand out because it's QPR at home Brentford at home I can't get my head around this the derby day for me is a little bit of a red herring. It is a derby. The atmosphere is a little bit more intense than usual. But it's hardly the old firm, is it, when, when Brentford and QPR come to town. I feel like that kind of atmosphere shouldn't really affect the players' performances. But clearly they're the only two games in which we've dropped points. Do you think there's any significance to it? Or is it just a, an extreme coincidence? Well, human nature generally does dictate that they'll find patterns in something that isn't there and I think there isn't a pattern here I think when you're actually looking at all the games that have happened over these last 10 or so games that you said that it's not necessarily the derby thing I think that as we're getting to the business end of the season there are more, there are more things riding on it for other teams as well as us so we're playing at a level that we probably are playing have been playing at for now 20 odd games but the other teams are now playing better and therefore, they're now not matching us necessarily, but sometimes the rubber, rubber of the green is going for them and it's now a closer fought game. And as we have seen, even in the past five or six games, that although the results have gone our way, I've got to say our performances haven't been as good as they have been. They haven't been totally dominant for 95% of the games. The only one that really springs to mind is the Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday game away, where we were totally dominant up until one chance they had in the 95th minute. But... Around that, yes, we've had mainly 1-0 wins um, and I think we won 2-0 one game. Mm. But you can't hardly say that they haven't been as dominant as they have been at the, towards the start of this amazing run. The other teams that are now coming to play us, there's more riding on them. Reading the other night, 
they're getting closer and closer towards relegation. You've got to say that if you were looking at those two teams where they are in the league, you would think that Fulham would wipe the floor with them. They're hardly dominant performances that we're putting in. They're very professional. But actually, what happened to us on Saturday could very well have happened at Reading. And that's why we were all so nervous towards the end of that game. Yes, Reading hadn't had a shot on target, but you knew it was just going to be one slight moment of madness. I mean... Drew, we'll come to it now. The game management towards the end of Saturday was a little bit criminal. And the player that everyone quite rightly is giving a bit of flack to is Cyrus Christie because when you get the ball like that in the 93rd minute, you're running down the right-hand channel. There's only one thing you do there, Cyrus, and it's keep the ball in the corner. 30, 45 seconds keeping it in the corner, winding up the Brentford players a little bit, and you see the game out. He goes for a slightly aimless cross it wasn't even like there was a real chance on it was a bit of a punt for from Christie and they gather the ball they go up the other end of the pitch and well you saw what happened well I wonder is he is he trying to impress anyone because he, he's coming in for these cameo appearances and you know there's that debate of you know is he a is he a right uh, is he a right back? Has he got more of an attacking threat? So what's he you know is he trying to come in and impress people by wh- whipping in a ball that he you know might start another attack but you know, it's a shame because a couple of days earlier we had, you know, the victory against Reading and we closed the game out. We did everything that we needed to do to win that game. We had it in the corners, etc. And then, uh, you know, it's a shame we couldn't do it again when the stakes were equally as high, if not more so. I mean, the defending, though, for the goal, Dom, it, it is criminal. But I think it's offside. And, and Billy and his gang can moan that... Ollie Watkins was onside and that it was a penalty against Steffi Hansen, but ultimately their equaliser has come directly from an offside position and it's the kind of luck that Fulham really needed in that moment. It is the luck we we needed in that moment, but for me it's it's not that it's offside is my issue. The goal is no one is anywhere near Neil Moore Pie. When, when, he, when he puts it in the back of the net. And I don't care if he's offside or not. Well, it's not more pie that's offside. It's the... I, I know, yeah, but, I know, but that's, not, that's not my point. Yeah. Why is nowhere near Neil more pie? Well, yeah, when he puts I mean, it in the back of the net. It's the last minute of the game. You're trying to protect the lead. Surely we'd have loads of players behind the ball anyway. And there's no one in the immediate vicinity of him at all. And I thought, maybe if, you, if you're seeing his run, you'd be running back to try and mark him or try to get close to him. But there's no one anywhere near him, and I don't understand why. He just has so much space, and this isn't easy goal to put in the back of a net really yeah absolutely Dom and it's absolute basic defending uh, for it that you know when a when a long ball is pumped into the box if it starts going over your head and it's now dropping five yards behind you then you're completely out of the game if there's a knock, knock into the box there's just complete switch off of defending and you know you've got to look at players like Fredericks and Adoy and Reem who weren't tracking into the box I, forgive me I can't I don't know who challenged for the first ball but whoever it's gone over the head of and they haven't tracked the ball all the way in like strikers like good strikers do then that's where the that's where the criminality lies you know you got there's one that also sticks out to me it was right at the end of the derby away game when they had that chance but it was almost almost exactly the same when the ball floats over Fredericks and Fredericks just doesn't even track the ball in. And if you see, he's absolutely apoplectic with his, with himself when McDonald uh, thankfully hooks the ball away. But um, it, unfortunately, it, ha- it happened again and we didn't get away with it. It's the kind of errors that we saw at the beginning of the season. Can you remember when we couldn't win a game for love nor money at home and we kept conceding late equalisers at Craven Cottage? In fact, if we hadn't have conceded all these late equalisers at Graven Cottage this season, it would have attributed to 10 points. That's that's challenging also, Wolves territory. Uh, and I think another thing was 
is that like what I don't understand is the Cabanas are Petrucian either because oh, I was going to come on to I'm, this. I know you're going to, but like my thing is right is when Cabano came on against Reading, the game changed. We started playing a lot better when he came on, and we had no issue closing the game out when he did. So I didn't see the need to bring on, bring him off. It didn't make any sense to me. It's just going to ruin his confidence. You get brought on, and you take him off. Like, what has Cabano done to Slav? Has he slept with his wife or something? Because like, lad, because like he seems <laughs> to on, just, he's, he seems to just be totally out of his plans, and he's playing players like Ojo. He's playing players like Aito. I don't think have or maybe or when he brings these players off the bench, I don't see what they offer off the bench at all. I don't think Ojo's that good. I think he had a good spell. I know there's the whole stats. Oh, we play a lot better when we have him, but that's not the point. And also, another point is you mentioned about the goal and the defensive problems, like. I think it was the picture gets taken when Neil Mopai bags it in the back of the net and you see it across the line from when the Fulham players are like, it seems like Adoy and Reem have both gone to the same ball. They're both over there. Why are they both over there? Like, you can see them both, like, angry when it when it goes in. But it's like, why are both players or both our centre-offs on the other side to where, like, the striker scores the goal? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, you had Target, Adoy and Reem all bunched up uh, at one side and then none of our right-sided players were anywhere near the box at all um, when when Morpai heads it into an empty net. So there is... Because uh, it's not like he, he bags there. it in from out wide either. It's, mm. pr- it's pretty much in the centre of the goal and, it, yeah, just we're all bunched over to the left-hand side and it's, oh, it's just a... Speaking of super subs, Neil Morpai, though, is the player with the most goals off the bench this season in the whole of... English professional football. There you go. Which is a hell of a statistic. There's got to be something in that as well. To be fair, like I'm sure, like we'd be saying it the opposite way around if we had a super sub who would scores the French chicorito. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Without reading too much into it, you know, late, late, late equalizers happen. You know, that's football, but. You know, we've we, had as many late winners as we've had late equalizers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you just we, we spoke ages ago at the beginning of the run. You know what we what would be like when we broke into the top six, having to hold on to a position rather than constantly chasing it as we did last year to the to near near enough the final day. And then uh, you know we did that pretty well. Uh, but then obviously you know we we get into the top two, albeit Cardiff have a game in hand. And you know the only shame is that we didn't hold that position a bit longer and make the derby game a bit more uh, sort of pressure filled for Cardiff. That's you know that's the only shame of it. But yeah. you know the, these late equalisers still happen. It's like Tim Ream said uh, on the official site, we've drawn games in this run before. You know this isn't the first time we've done it. And when the run's still there, it's still on. Uh, second was never ours to lose. So there's that. Yeah, the, the only problem is now is that I think yeah Cardiff can't even if they draw their, their uh, two games we they can still win it even if we win all our games. But another point to look at is that I said going into these last five or six games when we were chasing Cardiff, I was like, okay, we can drop points in one game, and we have. I think if we win our last three games, we've got every chance of getting there because they have got tough fixtures left. Hull away is going to be a tough fixture. Derby away is going to be a tough fixture. As long as it's... And let's say Reading need to win to stay up the last game of the season. That's not going to be easy. No. We'll come a bit more onto the run in just a second. I just wanted a word from you, Farrell, about the, the Cabano substitutions because I think it's confidence crippling. I mean, you're my Sunday league manager. You wouldn't dream of doing something like that to me, would you? Anyway, on to Cabano. Um, <laughs> you subbed me off yesterday, actually. I was fuming. <laughs> yes, you were, and you couldn't stop bothering me. <laughs> Hold of the second, I was like, put me on up front, Gov. Put me on up front. <laughs> Didn't. Did he put me up front? No. Cabano, anyway. Uh, <laughs> as Dom Wright quite rightly points out, when he did come on against Reading, it it was... He did change the game a little bit. He he was very... He is such a direct player. You know, he's got all... He's got, he does have a lot of tricks in his locker but he is quite a direct player and he does bring something to the team it was such a strange one and do you know what it's kind of reminiscent of the, the fact that Slav is making some 
strange substitutions is a bit like Roy Hodgson in the World Cup. He was making some odd odd substitution. I think perhaps the pressure is is muddling with his mind a little bit. And we have spoken before at great length over the past season or two about when we're either chasing a game or we're trying to defend a lead, that Slav will make some odd substitutions. And that one's probably up there with the with the weirdest, taking off Cabano after, what, 20 minutes? Well, it, it, was, it was the corresponding game at Brentford where we absolutely slated for Slav for his substitutions there. Can you remember he didn't take off um, Dennis Adoy? Mm-hmm. Mm. After it was absolutely apparent he was going to get a second yellow card any any time soon, and Slav's still definitely got weird Slav moments in him. He's been far better for the past half a season, yeah. and no one's in any mind trying to criticise Slav here. But yeah, I I still think he's got a couple of mistakes to answer for. Well, the, the, you know, just to bring it back down to earth a little bit, that if we were to say that Slav's worst attribute is the fact he makes some weird substitutes from time to time. Oh yeah. Then, then we're, you know, then I'll take that all day long. I think he more than makes up for the fact that he's got this team playing really well. Um we're on an amazing run and we wouldn't not think 2 years ago when he was uh, two and a half years ago when he was appointed that we'll be in the position that we were last year and this season. Oh yeah, I think that Nothing winds me up more this season when I see Man City fans going into meltdown. And I don't want to be like that either. We've had a very, very good season and we're all very grateful. And, you know, there's the odd weird moment here or there. But overall, obviously, as a fan base, we're all absolutely delighted and we could be in far, far worse positions. Uh, A couple of miscellaneous things I wanted to mention. Ryan Fredericks' yellow card in the 93rd minute. Absolutely glorious. Oh, yes. <laughs> Where what? he just rugby tackles the man. Yeah. I mean, we all stood up and applauded, which, <laughs> I mean, uh, as as a fullback myself, if I was if I was trying to chase back and I knew the the opposing winger had gotten around me and there's a lot of, lot of um, space ahead of me to try and chase back, I'm rugby tackling, tackling, throwing a hat at him, throwing a boot at him <laughs> just to try and get him down. So uh, fair play to him. Well, you know, it's cynical tactics, but those are the kind of things you've got to do if you're going to be, if you're going to try and win a game, yeah, it's not quite uh, Johansson on uh, was it Saez the lead yeah. player when oh, he absolutely yeah. clatters in from behind. <laughs> I think it's better actually. I actually think it's better than Saez. No, because I, 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 I think I, I think Johansson thought he had one percent chance of getting to the ball, but Fredericks had absolutely no intention, none whatsoever. Would you have the same? Would you have the same reaction if it happened absolutely the other way no, around? I'd be fuming. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and another thing. An attendance of under 21,000 for such a crucial game, at such a crucial point in the season. Not knocking the fans here, I just... I'm going to say it, I just think the, I think the club massively got the pricing wrong for this. And I just think £35 for a ticket, if you're not a season ticket holder, up to 40 if in the Johnny Haynes or the Riverside stand, it's just a little bit criminal. And I think it's such a shame at this point in the season where I... Well, I think this, the team needs as much support as it can get. It needs a full stadium cheering it on. That could be the difference between relegation and staying in the championship. Who, who knows what 5,000 extra fans cheering on Fulham could have done on Saturday. I just I just think the club got it slightly wrong on this one. And I don't like to criticise the club, but... 
I mean, no. it's the same for a lot of home games. I've just uh, a few of my mates wanted tickets for the Sunderland home game on uh, next Friday night, and they're thirty five pound a, a, yeah. a pop as well. And with the booking fee, that's thirty six twenty five. The booking fee that even if you print it out on email, you're still paying booking well, fee. Well, because like the booking, what I understand is it, it's like free postage, but there's a booking fee, which I. I right, right. But the thing is, like empty seats, that's the only way that the club's going to listen to 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 sort out the pricing. And obviously, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to slate the club, club, but it is it's one of those things where. I, as a football fan, become a bit embarrassed when you see like, oh, it's thirty-six fifty to go and watch to go and watch Fulham. Like, it's just too much. Yeah. The, cheap, the cheapest ticket at Spurs Man City is thirty-five pounds on, yeah. on Saturday night. And if it, you're the casual fan who maybe fancies going to one or the other, you know, who are you going to bloody choose? Well, I mean, you go back to when Fulham were in the Premier League, and I do know quite a lot of people who, when Fulham were in the Premier League, that they did decide to go. To Fulham, uh, because it was cheap. It was the cheapest in London to go and watch to go and watch Premier League football. For and season it, tickets. For season, it was yes, but yeah. also you can you could get regular tickets quite often for far less than thirty five pounds. You know, and you were going to go and see some pretty good. You know, we're not talking Manchester United or Liverpool or Manchester City, but you you know you are talking about you know if you West Brom or Stoke for example. Mm. Um, but you know they're still mid table. Premier League teams the same way that Brentford are a mid-table championship team and these these people that started going to those games maybe because they lived locally have over time become Fulham fans themselves and we're never going to attract a new fan base because Fulham are never going to be a stadium that organically is going to fill out a 30,000-seater stadium when, when the Riverside Stand project is completed. So, yeah, don't hamstring yourself by making it too expensive. Yeah, absolutely. And if we go up, we get, if we go up, then that you know that's an opportunity to take the prices back down again. And with the TV money, you don't need to charge 40, 50 quid a ticket in the Premier League. But I'd be a bit upset if I was Slav. Right, so from what I've heard, the reason that we have clappers at Fulham is... Mostly, it's an order for Slav. He loves the atmosphere in the stadium when the clappers are going. He thinks it gives something else to the players on the pitch. I don't know what the rest of the club think about it, but I certainly know the fan base aren't. If you did a survey right now on the Fulhamish Twitter, I reckon it would be about 70-30 against clappers. And obviously, every club dumbs down and take the piss. Not that I really give too much of a shit what other clubs think. But clearly... Slav has an opinion on atmosphere. He thinks it's a bit of a game changer. So if he cares so much about having clappers in the stadium, I'd be Slavisa going, hang on, this is one of our biggest games of the season and there's 5,000 empty seats. I'd want to know why. And there is only one reason why, and I still believe it's the price. And so I think he don't... You've also got a factor in that no Fulham fan really wants to sit in the part in the end. Because if you look, if you look at the last few home games, the Johnny Haynes, Hammersmith, and Riverside have pretty much all been sold out. Mm. They're not all sold. They're not, not, I'm not saying they're sold out, but like there's, I mean, there's, it's not like seats. Swaths of seats. Yeah, everywhere. yeah. Whereas you look at the Putney end, there's seats everywhere. There was quite, there was quite a lot of empty seats around me and Block DL and for the Johnny Haynes. Um, the day before, I looked at how many, how many sort of seats were unsold throughout the throughout the whole stadium, and it wasn't. There was quite a lot. Like, I'm talking like in the double figures of terms of percentage wise the blocks in the Johnny Haynes stand that that were empty and it did contribute to the fact there were you know there was only 21,000 do you know one of the few the one of the games that's been the most sold out this season excluding the Putney end Burton Albion Burton Albion I don't even remember it was back in January was a near on sellout 
they were rewarded for it as well. It was a tw- and it was a twenty pound. It was a twenty pound ticket. So well, I think that just shows there are fans there. We can fill the stadium. It's not like a. QPR. And wasn't it also one of the games where you got two free tickets? Yeah, tickets? And, and all that helps. I realise that, and they can't do that for every game. I think they literally aren't allowed to do that by the EFL. There's a maximum of four promotions a season that the EFL permits you to do. But still. I just think the club got this one wrong, and I think it was a bit of a shame. And when things were, it was fine margins on Saturday. Would 5,000 extra people in the stadium meant we got three points? I don't know. Probably not. But it could have been one of those small things that might have made a difference. Do yeah, you, you think, think it would have made the difference if it wasn't on Sky? Right. I, I mean, it was a le- it was a late selection because it only was selected what two or three weeks ago. There's there's all Marginal. those different factors. We still wouldn't have sold it out. I mean, you can at look at you price. can look at the Birmingham ticket prices for the away game. They're twenty quid. Mm. Yeah, um, like, they've got a larger stadium, and you can tell. But I mean, a lot of I mean, a lot of the if I if I was charged thirty five pounds for an away ticket, which yeah. I wasn't even charged at Sheffield United, or not Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. How much was Sheffield Wednesday? Uh, thirty. Really? Which that's, I th- a, that's a change for them. Yeah, which I think is just the average amount an adult ticket should be. Uh, I think Leeds was maybe the same price, but Leeds is always expensive. But what I'm saying is, going by what I've paid for away tickets this season, we would be the ex- most expensive or one of the most expensive. Yeah. And I know, yes, you can say, oh, we're third in the league, maybe we should charge, but you shouldn't be, I don't think you should be charging any fan above 30 quid in the championship. No, you really, really shouldn't. Well, and the fans voted with their feet, they didn't come. That's, the best, way, that's the best way to... to, to... Make I know, change. but it's a shame that it had to happen in this. Oh game. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. If, if it was, just... if it was a, if it was Burton Albion in the middle of the season, then we, this or, wouldn't be a discussion. Or if it was mid-table, I'd just be like, "Well, you blooming idiots!" Then. Well, it's it's but... strange that they're they're so they so they so try and drive the away ticket sales with stuff like you know Grosvenor spon- sponsoring um, free travel, and they've done that in the past, and they do things little things like that to try and get the away support up. It's strange that they're. The tactics are the other way around for the home games. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think we've done enough club bashing here, so let's move on. Uh, let's take a little break. Afterwards, uh, we're going to be looking at the promotion race in a bit more detail and chatting about that man. He's one of our own, Ryan Sessegnon. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Don Betts. Hello, hello. Farrell Monk. Hi, Doodly. And Drew Heatley. Hi. Please leave us a five-star review on either iTunes or Facebook if you like the podcast. It massively helps us, especially Facebook as well, because there's a lot of people on Facebook and we don't have that many likes. So if you leave us a review on Facebook, apparently I read that it helps other people find our Facebook page. So, uh, yeah, give us a five-star review. And uh, while you're there, Farrell wants to know who your favourite podcaster is. <laughs> In the break, that was what he was chatting about. I reckon I reckon it's Dom. I reckon that's who the majority is going to go for. Yeah, I, just, I, I agree too. <laughs> I, think, I think he's your away man. I think people respect that. But it'd be interesting to find out what your opinion is. So please leave us a review. And if you have a moment... Let us know who your favourite podcaster is, just to <laughs> boost Farrell's ego. Well, I'm going to get zero. It's, it's, it's just going to boost my ego, actually. Yeah. No I, I, think you'll, I think you'll get a few. Nah, I don't think so. I think you'll get the older crowd. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get the Dars. <laughs> on your side. Leave your number as well. <laughs> oh, come on, that's just desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Single life. <laughs> right, uh, let's have a look at the promotion race in detail now. So, well, we were never in the 
We were never in front. As much as Neil Warnock liked to say before the game, and maybe his little mind games had an impact, who knows? I'd like to hope that the players didn't read too much into it, but very much now, Cardiff are in the driving seat for automatic promotion to the Premier League. Put simple, they need nine points. If they get nine points from their remaining four games, so win three out of four, they're in the Premier League and there's nothing that Fulham can do. However, should Cardiff get eight, which would be two wins, two draws, or and Fulham can get all nine, well, this is really testing my maths, <laughs> then it is good enough to get us to get into the Premier League. So if we, if we win all three games, I still believe there is a distinct possibility. And looking at Cardiff's run in Drew, which is Forest, Hull, Derby, all three of those away, then Reading. I think Fulham have a chance. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the Nottingham Forest game because they can't score a goal for fun. It's the it's the three away games I think that is the real kicker on this one because you know it's never easy. The no away games are easy in the Championship. I've got that wrong actually. They're at home to Nottingham Forest. I've got that wrong, but still. But Nottingham Forest literally can't score a goal at the moment. Yeah, I think so. That... That's just three points. But then Derby and Hull both away um, on a Tuesday, then the following Saturday. That's where it is because that, that's the only games I've seen dropping points in. Yes, Slavers pointing out the Cardiff at home to Reading because I don't know why. But mind games, but always good. It's clever. I yeah, think. I know. But yeah, that's so weird that he said. That Reading was the game that well, they'll, 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 be, they'll be there like we will not be there like Reading, and then he'll just and he'll sit there and he'll start thinking about it, be like, oh, and then you know it could seep in. I think it's just it's just a bit of a, a random thing to chuck in. It's got everyone talking about it. Wouldn't it be serendipity if it's Reading? Wouldn't yeah. it be great? That, I'd love that. that. Secure our promotion to the Premier League. Agent Aluko gets Spags a hat trick. Chris Martin reveals a reveals a Fulham shirt. <laughs> Gives a big hug to Chris Martin, who reveals a brand new Fulham tattoo yeah. on his left <laughs> breast. Yeah. Whatever Reading player scores, if they do score a crucial goal that sends Fulham to the Premier League, should we get them on the pod regardless in the summer? Yeah. The world's best right back, Chris Gunter. Yeah. Whoever it is, we'll get them on the, the podcast. The listeners would go up massively in China. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, looking at it, I still think there is a small chance, and it might be rose tinted glasses. How, however, them getting two late goals against Norwich on Saturday was a massive, massive blow foul. For, them, for it to come in the 86th and 94th minute, I really thought that Norwich were going to help us out there because a draw would have been big. Mm, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, these things don't always come for us. And, you know, Fulham have had their own bits like that. It was, it didn't seem to go, wasn't seem to be going our way against Norwich away in similar circumstances. And eventually we got a goal and then another one came and... You know, I I haven't seen the highlights. I haven't seen a match report from that game. You know, did were Cardiff good for the good value for the results? It doesn't even matter anymore. No, no, no I think it, that it was a not undeserved, but they certainly weren't on mm. top. But they, you know, those things now. You know, there's three or four games to go, depending on which team you are, and those things tend not to matter anymore. You know, it's now putting the ball in the back of the net and keeping them out the other side. You know performances and runs and f runs of form are irrelevant now as we saw in the playoffs last year the informed teams did not do well Wednesday and Fulham were the ones that went out in the semi-finals and they were the informed teams mm -hmm. so when it comes down to it it's now down to results and it's now it's now putting your body on the line as that we didn't do in the in injury time on on Saturday it's now time for the Fulham players to you know pick up the bottle that we never seem to have and get grind out those results. Permutations be damned. If we win three in a row, 
then we, we're in we're in that mix with the, the massive shout. Like we don't need to even worry about Cardiff. We just need to win a, worry about winning three of the games, and then see what happens with them. Because as we said earlier, a second place was never ours to lose. It's it, you know they've got to worry about themselves, and we've just got to win three games ahead of us, which we've proven we can do on more than one occasion this season. I don't know. One thing to point out is both two of the games on Friday nights. So we're going to have played before Cardiff. So if we win those two games, the pressure's going to be on Cardiff. Oh, massively. Mm. So that that's another big one. Because we never, we always are good at putting ourselves in the lead. But if then, but then I hate it when we play late on a Saturday because I, I hate knowing what other teams have done. I'm always about get your results done, get your three points out of the way, then worry about them later. Mm. And I think playing on Friday night will play a factor in both our next two games because they're both very winnable games. Yes, I know Mill are on a great run of form as well. They're unbeaten. I think the last time they lost was New Year's Day. But I think us playing on the Friday night is actually going to help because then Cardiff are going to feel the pressure on both those games. I'm not going to enjoy um, walking through Millwall if we get a result in the dark and trying to get away from there afterwards sure. if we win. Nice yeah, but you, Farrell, look, aren't you? you look like a Millwall hard nut. You'll be absolutely fine, <laughs> Farrell. You'll you'll blend in. I'll get my um, oh bloody I forgot what, what's the the jackets the Stone, Stone Island. Island. Stone Island. I'll get break out my Stone Island. That I don't own. Can't believe you forgot that. You got like a VIP card, don't you? <laughs> Stone my, Island black card. Yeah. My EDL flag too. <laughs> Jeez. Um, <laughs> it's EFL from. <laughs> I mean, what's interesting though is that game next Tuesday away at Derby. I mean, Derby are in free fall. They're the first team to lose to Burton since us mm. back in September. It's absolutely infuriating that that's happening at this point in time, and it's also annoying that the bloody game's not on Sky. What? It's Isn't not on it? Sky, no, no. I was going to suggest we all meet up Checking in a pub out. in oh, London. No, and... It's so annoying. I did check it out, and because uh, I wanted, oh, I'm going to. Because it was originally it like a... due for Sky. You just thought that then they would have. Yes, exactly, and that's the thing. I, and it was a Tuesday night, so I was like, it must be. But I've checked all of the schedules, and it doesn't look like it is. It, I don't know. It's not on TV anyway, as far as I can tell, which is a shame because I was going to sit there with me Derby shirt on. <laughs> Gutted. Well, that's 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 how it is at the moment with the table, and fingers crossed that we can make something happen. And as you say, if we do get a win on Friday, it will put the pressure on for that Forest game at home. And I know you say Forest are rubbish, and and they are. It's 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 the truth. But every game for for Cardiff is going to be tricky at this point. Yeah, they are rubbish. They li I don't think they scored a goal for like six or seven games. Football is a funny well, way. Well, of I was going into you. the weekend looking at like the, the Championship form table the last five games. Yeah, they haven't scored. Um, so I don't have much hope. Does Nicholas Bentner still have that effect on them, that they is, still is can't still score. There? No, I think he's gone, but he still has it's like this I, emanating. I feel, like, yeah, I feel like he went back to Denmark, but I think I don't know. I don't. With paddy power pants. Yeah, I don't really know what to, what to expect from the rest of the season. All I know is that it's been a this run's been just phenomenal, and it, if we win at Wembley, then even better. Other bookmakers are available, very much including Ladbrooks. <laughs> uh, right, let's have a look at Ryan Sessegnon because, well, he broke the internet last night by picking up pretty much every award there was to win at last night's EFL Awards, including Championship Player of the Year, which Wolves fans have taken in their stride. They haven't really kicked up a fuss at all. There's not been too much written by them on Twitter. I mean... Ryan Sessegnon's described it as a special feeling. He wins four trophies, uh, including Championship Player of the Season. He was also the Championship's Young Player of the Season, Apprentice of the Year, and he was named in the Team of the Season. Let's ignore the whole Ruben Neves factor for a moment and just give Sess some praise here because, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's achieved this season. And he was nominated for Young Player of the Year at the PFA Awards, and he's the first ever player outside the top flight 
for that to have happened to since they were launched in the 80s. I mean, come on. That's history making in itself. And I think the importance of the PFA norm especially can't be can't be uh, overstated. It's, it's, it's absolutely massive. But CES is it's just a, a nice sort of cap for what's been a phenomenal year for him. And I think in years to come, we will be saying we used to watch him in the Fulham show. It'll be like when Pelé played for Santos at Craven Cottage or when we had Best Marsh and Moore playing against uh, playing at the Cottage and everyone was saying it was the Harlem Globetrotters era. It's going to be like that. We're going to be talking about him in that same way, I'm convinced. I, I actually brought along a mate of mine who's actually an Aston, a massive Aston Villa fan on Saturday. I had a spare ticket and um, he was, you know, as soon as we got into the ground, he was like, oh, where's Ryan Sessegnon? Where's Ryan Sessegnon? And, you know, if he's making waves across not just the EFL, that he's now kind of, you know, there were other great footballers on display on Saturday wearing white. Um, that was the one, that's the famous one that he came to see. And probably he's thinking five six seven years down the line this could this guy could be challenging for god knows how many awards you know he's going to forget you know the apprentice of the year award might be replaced by you know a ballon d'or on the on the mantelpiece and um, there's no such thing as apprentices at football clubs anymore what is that award i don't actually know that, that is a little bit odd. yeah i thought it, it should it, i don't understand what the award is but surely it's like youth product of it's the, the same, year yeah or sure yeah well, some, I mean, or something I'm sure like it has a definition that none of us have looked up sure it's, not like, it's not like the football league to be yeah. out of date or anything no, but I'm pretty sure he's not on apprentice wage I'll give him that he's not, yeah he's not cleaning Johansson's boots is he and <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday morning there's some great quotes though from Ryan after the awards as you'd expect but as just said coming through the youth ranks at Fulham is a great honour to me stepping out at Craven Cottage week in week out as a local boys from Wandsworth isn't he it's just extra special uh, for the fans for the club for the young players I want to show there is a pathway at Fulham for young players to go through into the first team now that is exceptional media training I mean he's <laughs> very very good <laughs> one thing you got to remember though about Cess is that he's grown up and Fulham have been a Premier League team for as long as he can remember at watching football, Fulham will have been in the Premier League. So it, it's a diff, it's a shift in perception. Whereas you know we'll grow up and we've seen Fulham in all of whatever divisions, depending on our age. Uh, I've seen them in every single one. But he's grown up and they would have been Premier League, Premier League, Premier League until only recently. So that's <laughs> but it's say, per- saying that like how young he is. When Fulham got relegated, Fulham would he would have been twelve or thirteen. Yes, it's <laughs> ridiculous. But it's going to be a shift in perception. He's going to look at us as a as a bigger a bigger club than we might necessarily be. Which would have been about the time that he was running the Kaka Sessignon Twitter <laughs> account, which I don't know if you've seen. It's basically Ryan Sessignon's Twitter from when he's about 10 or 11. Um, it's not the most eye-opening of Twitter accounts. He pretty much sp- spends the entire time saying, bored, bored. Tired. Tired. <laughs> Football today, buzzing. <laughs> Jack, is he now Jack J. Collins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tellingly, it's, said... it's, it's only a little bit more in-depth than Jack's Twitter. <laughs> he's not as adept at Photoshop as Jack. No, he's certainly not. Um, let's come on to the Championship Player of the Season argument. Uh, he was nominated for the award alongside Tom Kearney, who in himself was quite strange that he was nominated given that he's only really figured in about half the games this season admittedly in some of the games he's played he's been phenomenal and one of the best players in the championship in small bursts but I still believe there should be a case that I he mean, had to be playing he's only most just of the about season. in our top five players this season but let's come on to the Ruben Neves angle because obviously Wolves fans are up in arms that Neves hasn't won championship player of the season it was certainly who I was expecting the award to go to I mean he's a Champions League player playing in the championship and I feel like if you're going to look at the best player in the division this season I hate to say it Cess but I think that Ruben actually 
is the one that should have got the award. Yeah, I think you can't take too much away from Ryan here. It's more of a credit to Neves than to... Uh, uh, you know, yeah, because, it's, because um, you know, uh, before last Wednesday or Tuesday when Neves scored that absolute beaut of a goal... I reckon no one, not many people in the Premier League had heard of Ruben Neves before that point, but they would have heard of Ryan well, Sessegnon. Well, the manager, they would have heard of him, so, <laughs> you know. What was well, anyone th- over the age of 21 would have not heard what of him. What was your <laughs> thoughts on Neves, Sessegnon? Um, I think it's not, it's a problem with the EFL, because it, it always seems a forward, a forward player always wins the award. It's never, it, it would never be like a centre mid or a Hollywood midfielder. We look at the last two winners, who I believe are... Anthony Knockhart and Patrick Bamford, mm. who arguably weren't the best two players in the league in the last two years, but they had players who scored, probably scored one of the most amount of goals, got the most assists or something like that. They, it always seems to be a forward player who wins it, and I think that's just something the EFL want. Neves obviously should have won it because he's just phenomenal. He's a, obviously a Champions League level player. And... So you think it's a bit of a marketing thing? Yeah, it is. Isn't it a refreshing change that a left back won it this year, though? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. well, to be fair, Quantum probably is a left back because he was in there for a championship team in the season and EFL team in the season. That's a bit of a joke, isn't it? If they're just using it as I, a yeah. bit of a marketing exercise. Oh, I, I believe that. Well, just well, it's, it's, a good, it's a good story for EFL to say, oh, look, we've got amazing talent. It's here. all about the context, I think. It's a young British talent who, I was saying this earlier, he's, he's, it's the story around it. Just like you're saying, that's it's easy to market. It's, it's, it's a nice. It's just a nice packaged up uh, thing to announce. It's like, so they had the other team of the season, which are all academy um, graduates from EFL teams. So they have a team of the season that's around that. So they've got Carl Walker and John Stones in there, who were, um, Carl Walker was Sheffield United United and and John Stones was Barnsley. Mm. And there's a team just built on like the best players um, in the country that have come from... um, those academies so Ryan Sessegnon was in there playing at left back (laughs) quite actually of course not a left back (laughs) so I think the the, you know the football league are trying to market themselves as you know you could be a you could become a world superstar Mm -hmm. if you know not just by going to Man United Liverpool Man City and I think that's a it's a strong message to have but I think as well all these stories aside and conspiracy theories I think he deserves it. He deserves uh, any all of the accolades that are coming to him. He might not have been per se the best player in the league this season, but he's had a fantastic year. And if if you've been given that accolade and that praise, I think you know it's a bit churlish to to, to sort of criticise that. Well, we're running out of time on today's podcast, so let's just answer a few questions that have been coming in on Twitter and on various platforms. Uh, Dom's in charge of the post bag today, so. Uh... You picked it up from Jack earlier, didn't you? Oh, I did indeed. Yeah, just did a... Like, on my way in. Yeah, on your way in. Uh, still by ca- himself. Yeah, probably. Crying. Crying <laughs> in, a, in a hole somewhere. <laughs> Needs headspace. Uh, <laughs> what's what's come in? Uh, we've got a question from Ian Fenton off Twitter. So, regardless of a result against Millwall, if Cardiff win on Saturday, do we then rest players in the final two games to freshen up for the playoffs? I think that we should perhaps if it, if the second place is we can't we can't necessarily give up on second place. But if we um, beat Millwall and then Cardiff go and beat Forest, would you? I still don't think it's over. No, of course not. And also, Slav doesn't have history. I just don't think it's going to happen. Even if second place is out of reach, it's not in his nature to start resting, making wholesale changes. It was a different scenario last year when Huddersfield uh, was rotating uh, the team uh, in the last four or five games because they'd 
confirmed playoffs, but they weren't in with a shot of automatic. I don't think if memory serves, and they were they were chopping and changing, uh, and ultimately it didn't harm them because they went up. But it's different. It's, it's different this uh, season. If we win Friday and and Cardiff win. You, you can't you don't you can't stop until it's auto, uh, until it's mathematical. Yeah, because we were talking about it earlier that the gains we see them dropping points in isn't the Forest game. Yeah, it's the Derby and the whole City game if they're going to drop points. Mm. Like, and I don't think and if, if let's say if it's out of reach at Birmingham, then you got that week there because if, if I look to the playoff dates right, we should be playing on the Friday night and then the following Monday night. And so that's is, is that if we finish third or fourth? That's when we finish third because that's okay. what that's what the A game usually means. Yeah. But then it can change due to policing. But if we get like Middlesbrough away, I don't think the police are going to have an issue. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of beef between the uh, the two sets. Of oh yeah, after after the last one, yeah. for our fan TV, they're going to be kicking off. <laughs> Do they have TV up there? I think just about. Okay. Not colour, but um, <laughs> still, in black, still in black and white. We got an email in from from John Starr. Slav is obviously a man who dresses very well. Do you think that all our boys use him as inspiration for their outfits at the awards? I use him as inspiration for life. He's he's, he's sartorially he's a fantastic uh, role model for us all. I think. I don't think there's any argument with that. I love a manager who wears uh, a suit on the touchline. Uh, if I was a manager, I'd I'd do the same. Who's the Bristol City manager? Lee Johnson. Johnson. He dresses very well. Yeah. I don't think he's, a full, he's a Fulham fan. I mean, he's, he? he's no he's no Paul Tisdale. No, oh, Paul Sisdale. Yeah. I've I've went to go and watch Exeter versus uh, Barnet at Underhill um, a few years ago, and Paul Tisdale was wearing red corduroy trousers and a flat cap. He's pushing that. I, I like it. I like the cut of his jib. But he's pushing it. Yeah, I think I think I don't think it's really. I don't understand the point of the question. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm putting. I don't really understand the purpose of it. But maybe it's, a, it's a sideways look at Fulham FC. <laughs> maybe, maybe they have. Maybe they have. Maybe extra players take inspiration from Paul Tisdale. You know, when they go to their awards, don't know what they would be. But... It's some light relief to the normal questions that we get. I liked it. Okay. Another uh, question. Next question. <laughs> David Button or uh, Martin Fernelli? <laughs> a question in from Bet, Bet, Brett Pund. Is that a name? Okay. Uh, why not start? Why not start Cabano? With Pearson always drifting aside, Fredericks gets that number two to one once we lose the ball. Kamara has Christie on the bench to chase the game if needed. Also, how weak was that riverboat? <laughs> how weak was what? Their riverboat. Their love. Their, their boat. You wouldn't have known it was the Brentford boat. It just looked like a slightly busier than normal riverboat. There was absolutely no noise coming from it. Well, it's Brentford for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's get on to the footballing side of it. Starting Cabano. Uh, yeah, so I was going to mention about Cabano earlier, and I may as well mention it now. Uh, I think no matter what uh, what happens now, I think uh, it's safe to say his time at the club is done. We've seen before that when Slav uh, falls out of a player, for lack of a better phrase at this point, uh, then or doesn't fancy a player, then they don't last very long at the club. Uh, you only have to look at the headstone of Suarez to see that. Uh, and these comments after the game from Slav are just damning. Uh, he says, I need players to be ready to die on the pitch. That's bad. I need more effort. Um, also bad. I need somebody to interpret the situation and be experienced at, and be ready to find a way to kill the game, which, you know, is ironic considering it was Christie who uh, had that cross that we mentioned earlier. Uh, but that's, you know, that couldn't get any more damning, frankly, from the manager about a player. So I, I don't think we'll see him again this season, let alone uh, starting at uh, right wing. It's clear that over the past couple of years that Slav is a very, very tactical manager. And if some, if a player that is quite clearly good enough to play at this level just doesn't fit into those tactical plans, regardless if you're actually looking and thinking, oh, yeah, he puts in a lot of effort and whatnot, 
if he doesn't fit into those tactical plans and doesn't do exact follow his tactics to a T, then he's out. Because you think about all those other players that have come and gone, which we all thought and saying, like, calling for them to start. You know, even at the start of this season, you had Yaya Molo, Molo, who was obviously talented enough to, more than talented enough to play at this level. Well, you just got the thoughts he put in a forest away. Yeah, and at QPR away, he yeah. was probably our best player before he went off. I feel like the biggest indictment of this is the fact that Slav would not play Cess at left wing until he had a left back that he was happy with yeah. that he knew would fit into mm. his system the fact that he was willing to sacrifice Sess's attacking abilities even though there was a left back at the club in Rafa Schwarz but if he doesn't believe in you he will not put you in the team and he will not he will he'll not just let someone go in because oh it fits or oh he's a good player and, and mm. clear, I think you're bang on that obviously for one reason or another that's what we don't really know the answer to Cabano mm. just doesn't fit into the way that Slav well, it's wants like to play. like when we had Stephanie Hansen playing false nine when Ruth Front and Kamara, I think, were both available. Yeah, I think as well. It's 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 shades of um, it's shades of Hodgson and Bullard. Like sometimes tactically, you you have a player who's a bit more. Uh, we, we we say dynamic a lot on the show. I think he is, and then he's a little bit more of a flair player. And I think that that doesn't sit well with what Slav wants from him as a player. Uh, and it's the same as uh, Bullard and Hodgson. Bullard was not the, the regimented type of player that Roy wanted and he got shot. And I think Slav will get shot of Niskins and, you know, although I like him as a player, Slav's not really doing much wrong at the moment. So I'll, I'm going to back him on this one. Uh, probably got time for one more question quickly. Uh, from Wesley Boxall on Twitter, who would you rather face in the playoffs? If I'm gonna go, if we're looking basically all the teams who are possibly there, yeah, Bob and Burton, obviously. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the two teams who I would like to face is either Derby or Sheffield United. Sheffield United is like dream scenario because you've put seven goals past them this season. And there's no, a pop, no, and there's a pop world. Eight and yeah, Sheffield <laughs> and Sheffield is my favourite night out in the country. So, and it's been really Friday night. It's just, it's just, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. But Derby would be alright because it's not far from Sheffield either. So team wise, who would you rather? Sheffield United. Sheffield United is the, is the team I'd like to play. Sheffield United, I think it's looking difficult for them though, isn't it? It is, but Millwall got a very tough running. Yeah, yeah, fair point. I would probably want Derby out of all the teams. I think that I just think we could definitely beat Derby over two legs. As a, as a, as a team, I think Derby. But as a club, I've heard so many horror stories from uh, players like Gordon Davis and Robbie Wilson about the time we played we played them at the baseball ground years ago, mm. and we uh, it was that fateful day. And I just, as a club, in those sorts of situations where everything's riding on a, on uh, Derby, I just it fills me with dread. So I, I think Sheffield United for me, if they can get back up there. Looking at the games that that we've played against the teams there or thereabouts, Derby had more than enough to get a draw against us and probably could have beaten us. So I wouldn't necessarily look at them. And they've got some quality players still. They've still got Matty Vidra, who's banging them in. Yeah, top goal scorer in the league. Yeah. Um, I still don't think Middlesbrough's a nightmare. No, but they've got Tony Pulis and he knows how to get results, regardless of how shit he is. I just Mm. think that... I think if it was Middlesbrough second, I think it would be... Worrying, but I I, th- I think we could beat Middlesbrough yeah. at Craven Cottage. Could do. We can Absolutely. beat any. Of course, we can beat any of these could teams. Could be anyone, but you know, it's a bit of an open lottery, and you know, I wouldn't discount. You know, you're talking about Sheffield United. And I would definitely take Sheffield United. I would probably take Preston. Preston, of course, yeah. Preston, who are above Sheffield United. As far as I'm aware, they don't have a particularly difficult run in. Um, 
I, you know, out of all those teams, it's got to be Preston or Sheffield United. Well, it's Norwich at home next for Preston. Then there's a crunch match between Sheffield United oh, and that's Preston. that's it. Yes, that's it. Uh, on the same match day as Millwall and Middlesbrough play Six each other. Six pointers everywhere. Tasty! What, um, which, which game, which day is that? Is that that's the on lo- Saturday the 28th. So that's after Sunderland. Sunderland. Oh, I'll definitely put my feet up and watching soccer yeah, Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be it. Get the popcorn out. Right, well, that is the end of today's Fulhamish podcast. I can just say we have recorded this podcast in the most bizarre place. I might just stick it on our Instagram story. So we're in a studio, my new work, that they're currently building, and there are DIY tools everywhere. Farrell's been playing with some pliers for the past 15 <laughs> minutes. Uh, Drew's got cable ties all around him. No, He's got a Bosch drill to his side. There are boxes everywhere. It's, a, it's remarkable that we've even managed to fit four people into this room. There you go. Uh, got his drill out. Yeah. <laughs> Put your drill away. It works. Warning, this is not a drill. <laughs> Good. That was uh, a visual joke, unfortunately. Uh, we need a title for today's podcast. I'm going to give that responsibility to Farrell. Yeah, when I was scrolling down the three-word reviews, I, I saw a really good one from Will Brooks, and it was um, more paid the price. Mm. Good. That, that, that's, that's very well done. That's very, very well done, Will. Well, yeah, done. Well, well done. I thought it was going to be something bee sting related yeah. I've got bee stings on my body oh, no. <laughs> it's time to end the podcast so um, thank you for listening this week Fulhamish Extra will be back um, Thursday morning I'm going to be chatting to dun, 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 Danny Boy from Fulham Focus because it is the big Fulhamish versus Fulham Focus six aside game for charity this Saturday so going to be having a little bit of banter we're with Danny uh, ahead of that. We're trying to raise loads and loads of money for charity. So uh, we'll Tickets are have... £35. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're looking for This is going to be the biggest face-off since Rock and Hogan, isn't it? This yeah, exactly. Massive. Who's playing? Wait, you're not... I, no, I've got the London Marathon on Sunday. I can't play. Farrell's playing. Absolutely. I'm Tom. working. I'll be all coming to the pub afterwards. Yeah, I'll be coming to the pub straight after. Excellent stuff. Right, well, uh, more on the Fulhamish versus Fulham focus game in this week's Fulhamish Extra. Can I say the word Fulhamish any more times? So, Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Thank you. Farrell Monk. Fulhamish. (laughs) And Don Betts, thank you very much. Laters. We'll see you later. Have a good week. Bye. So you're going to say toodles. (laughs)